Welcome to the Fan Engagement Pod. Before we start, don't forget the first event of the Fan Engagement Network is on the 26th of July at Bristol Rovers Football Club. It's a joint event with Rovers and CEO Tom Gorringe, featured in this episode, will be speaking. If you work or volunteer in Fan Engagement role at a club, you're a CEO, managing director, director or owner and want to attend, drop us a line at hello at fanengagement.net and we'll reserve you a spot. Back to the pod. This episode is with the aforementioned Tom, Liam Scully, CEO of Lincoln City, and Ryan Sparks, CEO of League Two Bradford City. The three of them have done impressive jobs with each of the clubs they run, placing structured and strategic fan engagement at the heart of what they do, ensuring it feeds into the decision-making and key commercial decisions. They tell us their lessons from their time in charge, including the learning curve, how each club is unique, but how to apply experiences from elsewhere, including other sports, and how winning only papers over the cracks of a creaking structure. As Liam himself says, this is an exciting time to be in charge of a football club. We're seeing genuine changes in how clubs are run, and with good, good fan engagement now being seen as a positive opportunity. All three are clear that reform, financial and administrative, through the new independent regulator, will make that opportunity even greater, especially when it comes to staffing in key fan engagement roles. If you want to get in touch, ask a question, or suggest a topical guest, drop me a line at hello at fanengagement.net. Episode links are available in the podcast description, and keep an eye out on fanengagement.net, and find our socials on linktree, that's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash think fan engagement and please like subscribe and share it really does help our visibility in a crowded podcast world enjoy the show part of it but so so all of you um uh um um sorry tom and um liam you don't have your names on there so i'm gonna have to, i'm gonna mistakenly keep calling you bristol rovers and lincoln city but tom and um liam and ryan each one of you have gone into the clubs that you you run you now run and you've all done pretty sig- i'd say you've all kind of done pretty significant overhauls let's put it that way um, in all sorts of ways, you've all gone into places that have needed um, lots of work in lots of ways. Um, and um, uh, and I've spoken to you all individually. Um, and the reason it was worth getting the three of you together in one in one go was because it's quite useful to kind of hear you talking about the experiences in a group um, and see what the kind of parallels are. So. I don't, it doesn't really matter where I start, I suppose. I mean, I suppose um, the, the slight difference is that, Liam, you went straight in as chief executive, whereas Tom and Ryan both became chief executive after a period of time. So if I just started with, with Liam, if that's all right, you went straight in as chief executive of, of Lincoln City. You'd done some previous work. You'd been at Doncaster Rovers in various roles, hadn't you? Um, so... The first thing is, is when it comes to just the general 
the general scene setting what's it what's it like when you walk in I, I don't want to make out as though it was you know chaos and carnage anything that different from a lot of clubs but when you walk into a club that needs you know that needs a lot of love and needs a lot of work um and you know for which you might have some really exciting plans for but which you've got to kind of get a handle on what what's that like when you walk when you walk into a, a place yeah thanks kevin um i think first and foremost you've you've got to understand the environment and the unique part of the football club that you're working you know walking into um i think the mistake i probably made in the initial phase is there were certain areas that we needed to target for growth or for change um but I think all the mistakes that I made in the early, you know, in the early phases was trying to lift things that we'd done at Doncaster and, and just try and bring them in at, at Lincoln. And, you know, as, as Tom will tell you from Bristol and Ryan from Bradford, you know, each clubs, they have their own heartbeat, they have their own rhythm, they have their own sync, they have things that are important to them. Um, so I think, you know, that the first thing that whilst I recognised there were potentially areas of change and improvement, it was making sure that I understood the football club and what makes it special. And equally, you know, the areas of growth, not only that the board and ownership are looking to achieve, but equally that the fans and other stakeholders as well. So I just think, um, you know, very respectful of the football club that I walked into and it spent a number of years in the National League and just been promoted to the EFL. So National League's existence is very different. You know, success is paying the gas bill at the end of the month at times in the National, you know, in the National League, whereas we were trying to go on a growth strategy and a, and a growth trajectory. So it was a very different mindset. Um, but yeah, very. I was very privileged and honoured to to come in as chief executive. I've been spent seventeen years at Doncaster in different roles, but yeah, it was about eyes and ears and learning first of all, rather than just jumping straight into solution mode. Now, Tom, um, I'm. Uh, it's safe to say I think that you probably had a couple on a probably two occasions, two of the clubs you worked in, Portsmouth, where I've seen to remember you were um, you'd started off doing um work experience via, via a university degree wasn't it and then since the club um um fell to bits while you were there and then um you got a job um after graduation i think i'm getting it right correct me if i'm getting anything wrong and then obviously cardiff where you went in and one of the things you did it took you a bit of time was to reverse the kit change cut the kit uh, color change when when the owner had turned it to to red and over time, you spent time working on reversing that, um, right? So you've done baptisms of fire, right? Was that was that anything like that at Bristol Rovers? Was it a very different experience? And how much did those those experiences prepare you? Because they that's the sharp end. That's the end I used to work on quite a lot. So I can, can you know I can I can I can sympathise with that, empathise with it. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot to unpack there. I mean. Um, at Cardiff, I'd left before they changed the kit colour back. So we we started the consultation processes and the and the regular meetings with supporters and um, got them in front of Vincent to share their views. But I'd actually gone to Brighton by the time they reversed the decision, um, so I hadn't seen it all the way through. But yeah, obviously coming into Portsmouth, uh, joined um, on a year's placement from university. Uh, within three months, we became the first Premier League club to go into administration. I suspect they'll be the only ever Premier League club to go into administration. Um, and then I was there for five years. We went to administration twice, got relegated twice. Um, but effectively, the whole time there, you're just in full survival mode. Um, but I think what that does is give you a really good context because you're kind of grateful for everything that you've got. 
um, and how special football clubs could be at Portsmouth at that time. The fans were were unbelievable. They were still selling out the stadium. They were attending away games where there was nothing on them and singing for 90 minutes. And it really kind of drums home what we already know, which is that football is a really, a really special place to be. And football clubs can be really important pillars of their community if they're run correctly. Um, obviously, then going from there to Cardiff, um, and having to go through all of the the changes of the colour of the kit, um, also going through a promotion to the Premier League. Uh, again, it was just a crazy time in terms of the the extremes that that we experienced from the positives of the on pitch performance and the team that we had off the pitch and now how we work together. And then obviously the the stress and strain that a big decision like rebranding. Um, the colours in particular of, of a football club uh, can put on everybody from top to bottom. The people in the shop feel that the same as the people who are selling hospitality to the same as the people that are in the director's box. It kind of blanketly affects everybody in, in equal measure. Um, and it was a, a long process to, to get that level of understanding at, at the highest level as to why those things are important. But in terms of a foundation for um, a career in football, in, in a weird sort of way, it was kind of the best possible start you could have because it just really reinforced all the things that are really important about engaging with supporters and um, why we're all here, how special football clubs can be, uh, the benefits that we can have to the local community and and why uh, why it's important that we're all pulling in the same direction to, to try and make the club that you work for at that time a, a success. So um, I learned a lot during those times. And then obviously in between that, I went to Brighton, which was probably the the extreme the other way in terms of um, probably the best run club or at least one of the best run clubs in the country. Um, learned a lot about where those other clubs then were, were going wrong in terms of how they were set up and how you can do things better. And then bringing all that experience into Bristol Rovers, which... Um, was pretty much a blank canvas when I first joined. It was a club that hadn't changed for probably 20 years. The same staff, same processes, same people, same operations, same view on how things should be done. Um, and that provided a really big opportunity for us to make some changes and to try and start getting the club moving forward, which um, particularly over the last couple of years, I think we've done. I think we can all agree with that. Um, Ryan, you're... Um, you came in from rugby league, didn't you? And that that brings a different perspective. And I remember that conversation. Well, we've had lots of conversations, both you know, a couple on this, and then also just lots of conversations in general. That how what does what did that do for you to prepare you for football? You know, what 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 the experience of work? It was Featherstone was one of them, wasn't it? I think Bradford as well, Bradford Rugby League. So you you know you came in. And eventually you become chief executive. How's that experience benefited you in the way you approach things now? Yeah, yeah. I think I mean the the, the the key difference between rugby league and football. One is a minority sport, and one isn't. Obviously, so you fight extremely hard to put bums on seats. Where uh, people talk about rugby in general being a tribal sport, I don't really agree with that. I think football is tribal, very tribal. Um, and if the product is there and there is a, and the, the the setting if you like the landscape of the club is 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 deemed to be 
correcting people's eyes, as many eyes as possible, and people feel comfort and they, they feel their club's moving in the right direction, your numbers follow. You, you mark you it differently in football. I think it's a more holistic approach. You mark it in different ways. It's not just, you know, graphic design and fancy buzzwords. It has to have a, a deeper core, whereas the rugby times, you know, that I were involved in was very much stunt upon stunt upon stunt to try and put bums on seats very from one month to the next, from one season to the next. So that that's probably where, um, not that you can relax in football, it just allows you to to do things how you might more, how you ideally like to really. Um, it's the difficult sports to compare. And of course, I wasn't running a rugby league team back then. I was in, in, the, in the bowels of one, if you like, um, two. Um, but they had they had similarities. Um, but no, I, I think look, I think what the guys are saying there is it's correct. You know, cl- clubs they they naturally move. You know, our numbers are, are significantly higher in every department than they've ever been, um, be it financially or or people. Um, our outputs better, and it's all really based on setting a path going through the the tough parts and keep walking forward and, and, and pulling that plan forward regardless of the on-field outcomes, which, of course, sadly, you know, you can't always... Uh, you, you plan for the correct outcome on the pitch. It doesn't always happen, which can which can affect that, of course. Right, so... Um, so there's that's the sort of scene setting, right? And there was some interesting stuff about engagement in there. And I've I've... The bit that's interesting for me... Um, it is always going to be obviously fan engagement, but I'm always interested in the wider context that sits within a hat. What what is it you're actually trying to get across to people? How do you run the place? How does it, you know, how how are how are staff behind the scenes? You know, all those things matter as to how you then engage with fans, right? So one of the things that um, one of the things you all do you all do well, um, and in lot in lots of different ways. You do good match day engagement, good fan experience, as we call it. That's re- you know, and I think that's really valuable because in the end, that's the front end of what a lot of people will will see will see of the club is they'll turn up to a match. If they're treated well, they'll remember you and they'll be nice about you. <clears throat> if they're treated badly, um, they'll remember that and they'll and they'll say that too. And that that's not good for you. Um, notwithstanding that fans still have a habit of going to matches even if they're treated badly, it's not a good thing to be regarded as you know, providing a poor experience. But when it comes to that experience bit and and um, ensuring people enjoy being at the ground and that kind of stuff, that on its own, it's I've, I've always thought that to be a bit thin and you can't just rely on that. And your motivator, if you're if you're thinking about the fan as customer all the time, then to some extent, that's there's a, there's a truth to that. But what what's behind it matters. So how much is it's a bit of a vast question, but I'm here to ask these sorts of questions is how much behind the scenes when it comes to the structured, you know, ongoing dialogue and, you know, the structured engagement, all that sort of stuff. How do you how do you bolt those two things together? How do they relate to each other? Because, you know, is it just one giant constant, if you like, interaction with your consumers, if you want to put it in that way? Is that how you see it, or is it that you know there is the reason that you do a lot of that dialogue is because it's good in itself, it's necessary to do that, and then it does feed into the experience stuff. Which you know, what what importance does the structured engagement, the the, the really sort of 
the structured dialogue what position does that play in your in your in your business plan i suppose in how you deliver what you provide on a match day um i i don't mind if anyone wants to just butt in and say and give give us an answer let's just go on let's just, ryan go on give it a crack <laughs> thank you uh i i think um you know you set your um you set your course, what you want to do. Obviously, right back at the start, before I took the chief exec job, I was horrified to see that we were ranked 80, 88 out of 92 in your um, in, in your index piece, which in, its, in, in truth was in its infancy, but it was accurate. And um, there were undeniable facts that were further damaging, you know what I mean? And when you're trying to improve the club's public image and you're being whacked with things like that that are undeniable, um, perhaps people in the past at our football club may have said, oh, well, whatever, we'll just win it. We'll try and get promoted next season. It'll be fine. And that does fix things. You know, let's not kid ourselves. It, you can paper over the cracks very quickly by winning, but it's not permanent, isn't winning. And I don't think any of the three, three of us can sit there on this call and say that we can just, you know, uh, we can confirm and, 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 and claim that we're just going to win because it, we're, we're, we're clubs that, not always are winning, you know, and, and then there is the upturns, the downturns, and there has to be an underlying, an underlying process there. So I think it was a case of, I think I met with you at the time and said, what does that look like? Um, and you, you asked me some pretty honest questions. How often have you sat with people? How often have you told people, why do you hide your accounts? Um, all fair questions. So um, we took that advice on, you know, we're not, I'm certainly not an expert in the area and I wanted to learn about it. And, and I find just generally by having a consistency, I think that's the word around talking to people in a certain way, be it an annual fans forum or a, or a biannual fans forum or sitting on the supporters board once a month for an hour of my time. Just that, and then the supporters trust quarterly meetings and that you create consistency and then supporters get to eventually sit the culture of the, it almost creates a culture where people know that if something happens at the club or something's about to happen, you're probably going to tell them exactly why. And then the truth can follow. <clears throat> you know, we've, we've had, we attempted to, uh, we reviewed our, our brand last year and we, we, we attempted a large rebrand project where <clears throat> I think we kind of booked the trend in the sense that we actually allow supporters to control that entirely. Uh, some people would say that's wrong, <clears throat> you know, um, shouldn't have done that. But ultimately, you know, when you're running a football club, you, you're nothing more than a, a paid steward. Um, and if you're a chairman, you're possibly an unpaid steward. And you have to remember that they'll be there long after you're not. You'll move on with your life or whatever, and, and they won't. That's their football club. And I think you have to respect that. And I'm a Bradfordian, but I, I stand separate to that. I'm, I'm not a Bradford City supporter week in, week out like them. I don't travel the country and pay my money to do it. So I think you have to respect that. And... Um, and, and when you, we, the rebrand never went through, but, and, and obviously internally, there was some, possibly some frustration and disappointment about that. But what it actually did was it took our trust levels up several notches because the supporters had watched us take their decision and run with it. And in the past, that probably was never even placed on the table. Not that every decision you make, you can survey for, but that was a massive call. And it might not have been the right call, but it did have good, it had a good outcome. And it was interesting that at the fans forum we recently had, which is on the back of a decent season for sure, it was quite it was quite a positive forum. Most people were quite content. And you roll the clock back two years, and it was a 
it was a debate about ownership, about whether I should be sat there, about where is the owner, what everything was up in the air because it, we were just at the start of, I mean, I've been in charge just coming around to three years and it felt very much in its infancy. It just needed time. And then you build the culture, obviously, in the fan base and you build it internally as well. And you get the people in the right places and, and whatnot and you start to perform. And, you know, hopefully I, I, the bit we just need to do is get out of the division because it would sort of finalise what has been, a, would like to say, like a three-year turnaround of where we were maybe. Um, and I've got a lot of people around me who've done a lot of great work really for that. So yeah, you uh, right. Thanks. You yeah, Brian. I mean, actually, in common, all three of you, um, and that's not the reason I've got you all on, but all three of you engaged with me very early on what I'd done, even though to some extent with well, certainly with Tom, you know, Tom and Tom's someone who's got a very good reputation in the industry. You know, you don't need necessarily to engage with the work that I did, but you did. Um, and I have to say it's, you know, it's reaped rewards in terms of what I, you know, what, what I do. Um, and, and all three of you are, um, you know, are very high in the index, but in terms of con just kind of coming to that thing of control, right. You're talking about fans controlling a process and that kind of thing. Um, are there, are there areas that, um, that where that happens for you, um, uh, Tom, where, actually it's not so much it's it might be about creating a process but sometimes you're kind of saying well look this is in the end this is a decision we'd like you to make as fans is this something that you've used in your in your work yeah I mean ultimately we all want the same things I think quite often fans of clubs because of the way clubs are run historically see um, those that are running the club as opposition and I think the biggest challenge to overcome is to get everybody to realise that you're all pulling in the same direction, you all want the same things, you all want to win on a Saturday, you all want the experience to be as good as it possibly can be, you all want the club to be running sustainably and to be moving in the right direction um, and then there's an open debate about how you, you do all those things um, and I think what Ryan said that the most important part is around trust and trust comes from communication and it comes from actions that are consistent with what you're communicating so um, for us we uh, we take in a lot of feedback um, possibly too much at times because um, I think it's really important that when you're generating feedback that feedback's transformed then into tangible actions i think sometimes you can get too much feedback that actually it all just becomes a bit of noise so um we're looking at how we can refine that a little bit better going into this season um we do post-match surveys after every game and we do the same in hospitality separately and so there's quite a lot there to then digest um but i think probably the most important that part of that process is um being available um I've I've used um, my own social media, particularly through Twitter, to be quite approachable and try and get direct feedback on issues. Um, we get I get feedback probably daily on certain things we're doing, and I think you have to have the constitution to know which parts of that feedback you need to listen to and which parts you don't. Um, but that's that's part of the job. Brian and Liam will have experienced that themselves, I'm sure. And, at different times but um the main thing is like i said to to be as open and transparent as you can be 
um, to build up that trust through having consistent actions and um, demonstrating that you're, you're doing things with the best intentions, even if sometimes you, you get things wrong, which I'm sure we all do. Um, and to just be working every day to try and move the club forward. And I think if you've if you're doing that with the best intentions, then there's there's very few supporters that that can argue with that. Liam, you just how are you feeding this information back into the sort of system? Um, you know, when, when you there's a lot of each one of each one of you three, um, there's a lot of commonalities, but each one of you three has a slightly different model of football club, a slightly different way of operating. Um, I'm interested with you, is you, there's, there's um, for, for quite some time, you've done a lot of sort of structural um, fan engagement, if you like. Um, you know, you've also got a director. I know you have Tom on the board of Bristol Rovers through the Bristol Rovers Supporters Club and the shareholding there. But just to come, trying to come to Liam on your experience of of that and how, you know, when when all of, all of this sort of, let's call it kind of consumer feedback, right? Good consumer feedback from fans through surveying through you know match day experience surveying through you know whatever it is you're doing fans forums and that kind of thing how's that feeding into you know the board of directors into your you know how's that how's that feeding into the the supporters uh, a shadow board supporters board whatever you've got um that also that that new if you want to kind of explain that new um group that you've got together um, which which also reports publicly about what it's doing. Um, how, so how does this all kind of knit together? Because strategic and tactical, strategic and delivery, you know, they can be a bit of a mystery. And sometimes I think people don't always appreciate how you fit the two together. When it comes certainly when it comes to engagement, fun engagement. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. I, th- I think it's just it helps you with a two way flow, and you've got and, and it's really important that it is a, it's it's two way. So first of all, you have an input source. So yeah, that's quantitative and qualitative data that is informing and influencing some of your decisions, some of your recommendations. Um, and I think it's really important that, as as Tom said and as Ryan alluded to earlier, when you when you're going out and asking for feedback, then it's important that you're responsive or that that people feel that that feedback is landing somewhere and is having an influence. Um, so then on the on the flip of it, I think it also defines and influences your communication strategy in terms of the outputs of, of them, what you're saying and why you're saying it. I think if you look at football clubs, maybe five, maybe even 10 years ago, we were all really good at telling fans what, but we never told them why. And I think it's really important that we understand the psyche and the psychology and the mentality and where the fans are coming from. So then, then we can explain and just for clarity, transparency isn't opening your doors and sharing absolutely everything. Transparency is about sharing the context of the decisions that you make. And I think we we have to accept that in the history of football and the football club, it's a, it's a working man and woman sport. Um, the most senior suit at the football club on a day-to-day basis, there's, there's, there's probably a, as a starting point, there's a little bit of mistrust. There's a little bit anti-establishment. There's a little bit you know, management suits, you know, you're, you're a player's salary that could be scoring 30 goals a season. Why, you know, why are we spending money on you type? So it's around ensuring fans can understand the context and why we're making certain decisions and, and sharing that with them. One thing that I've said numerous of times, I'm a firm believer, but if, if most logical and reasoned people if you sat them in front of the same data that you were looking at, the same information, the same decisions that you had to make, I'm pretty confident that they would make the same decisions as most of us. 
but what they only see is the end point. So sometimes they that, that there's a gap in understanding. So it's actually just, you know, I think it's quite common sense, really, just to share a little bit of that context, both that you've gleaned from that information coming in and then equally on the way going out of the decision that, that then just gets everybody on the journey with you and, and can understand it. You know, people might not agree with the decisions that we've made and, they, you know, often that they won't, but at least if they understand it, I think that there can be a bit of sympathy or, a, or a, at least a bit of a compromise um, in, in terms of why we do that. So I think, yeah, I think fundamentally it's just about good two-way dialogue um, that influences your, in, you know, thinking on the way in, but then your communication strategy and your ongoing engagement on, on, on the way out. And I think that two-way piece is really important. Tell us what's that. What, tell us about that new. Um, uh, I mean, sort of, I wouldn't call it a committee, but there's a new sort of grouping that you pull together on a regular basis because it's something I hadn't seen before, um, and I was quite curious about it. Just tell us what it is. Yeah. So, so without sounding all cliche and like a management consultant, what one of the things that we've just found is engaging with organised groups and equally informal groups it can, can be quite difficult and we've tried to create a bit of a hub and spoke model where we've got a central funnel and a central point that you know they no matter how big no matter how small um they are that, that there's a there's a voice and there's a funnel and there's a way to 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 be heard by the football club um so the group in particular that you're mentioning has the football club has the foundation has the former players association has the trust as, as part of it but then equally what the trust and we're working with them as part of um, hoping to offer a golden share is is around how they then engage with um, the other uh, formal supporters bodies in order to kind of just as I said create that that funnel approach and then just going back to the transparency piece um, the reason you picked upon it Kevin is that we we publish the agenda and we publish the minutes as per good practice that you know you and many others kind of highlighted to us um, just to, so people can actually see what's what's going on in those meetings and what the purpose is, and then equally what what we've achieved by working together. So it's just trying to constantly work on, you know, the range of as as Tom alluded to. You can sometimes get you know quite a lot of feedback, and it's almost like funneling and, and making sure that you're you're qualifying that that it's not just a noisy complainant, mm. uh, for example, that it is qualified feedback that then and, and intelligence that you're going to act upon and i think that's that's the core purpose of that group is to almost aggregate and and, and kind of bring all of that into a head and really get a prescribed focus on these are the challenges these are the areas of opportunities mm. this is how you you know how we would propose that you act and that that's something that um at bradford ryan you sort of done over time you've gradually sort of built the layers it's that i think it's what some people call refer to as multi-level engagement i think <laughs> um you can't we can't really avoid a degree of management speak about it because it does involve some of those techniques but that's that's something you've done is it is, it, is, is what you've done been quite deliberate ryan i get the feeling it is what from a staffing perspective do you mean well no from the perspective that you've sort of you i get the from what i understand of how you've done things is you've sort of gone you've 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 you haven't just tried to do everything all at once, which is very tempting when there's a lot of things that need to be done and lots of groups that need to be engaged with. You've, you've, you've pieced it together over time. You haven't just rushed at it. Um, yeah, no, no, yeah. The, the, and what, and what, 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 what would you have deemed to be the most important things when you started to get better at? When, you know, when we had that conversation, you know, you phoned me up about this and we talked about it. What were the, what were the things that you went at first to try to, 
to start to address the need for better engagement at Bradford City? Yeah, it, it was a, it was a, it was across the board really, Kevin. We, we had an issue generally when I took over that we had a, a landlord of the stadium that we didn't speak to. That was we just didn't. Um, we didn't have a relationship there. We didn't speak to our council. We didn't speak to our sporting neighbours. We just sort of existed in a tunnel, really. And then naturally, you know, we, our main stand, if you imagine, we all sat in the main stand, you know, and at times it kind of felt, um, whereas we, <laughs> the staff and the club were miles away from the supporter base, you know, it almost like they were in the stand at the other side. And, and that's how it felt, you know, and, and it was just a general approach to bring just bring things together. You can't do it all at once. You can't, yes, that's true. But we weren't even able to really, the things weren't in place. You know, the club was 20 years behind where it should have been, which might alarm you. But we, we were going to have conversations with National League clubs and, and fourth division clubs who, who we just rejoined in, in League Two about how to do things, you know, around CRM data, which is pretty poor, really. But the first thing is to look in the mirror and, and, and accept that. You know, some some people, I think some clubs sometimes struggle with that and they, they, they're happy as they are or whatever and, and they wonder why things aren't happening rather than what have you done to influence the outcome of it, you know. And I just, I just think generally the club was in a position where it, it didn't really have any direction, you know, and, and, and naturally then people start to, inside the business, they start to... Um, meander down paths that suit suit them as staff not not through no fault of their own so you've not really got any focus on anything you know be it commercial growth on-field success sustainability facilities improvement retail drive nothing it nothing was there so um i i think that's you know that for us was sit down and take take our medicine and look at it all and realize just how bad we actually were at every element of it and why and a lot of it's quite fairly straightforward you know like have a meeting tell people the truth which the club does as much as it possibly can and and then tell people what's being discussed and, and that sounds really basic I, I understand that but that's that's what that's where it starts basic conversation it's how, how would you build trust with any other person you get to know them you talk to them you, and you see what it's like when you're in a good position and what it's like when you're potentially in a position of strife um and and you just can't and you you know I, we couldn't. We were at a point where our, our operational turnover was decent, but it could be much better um, to create sustainability. But you can't just bank on the people to give you that. There's got to be something for them to buy into and believe in. Beyond, here's this season's manager and here's this season's squad, which is obviously tempting uh, to to, uh, to to go down. But you know, look, you've got to keep the focus on the grass because that's where that is what the product is all about. You know, it's a football team that people want to see do well and and have, and give the city, this our city particularly in in where it is now. It needs that level of pride and civic pride. So we we've got a responsibility there. Um, but there's there's far more to it. Le, le, I think layers is the right phrase. We lack layers. We lacked it um, from a staff perspective, and then just generally, it just felt very very almost a very simple football club, but it was it was heading one way very quickly. Um, and we had no chance of ever developing it or growing it unless we were prepared to speak. And a lot of the things I've talked about at the start in terms of who we didn't speak to, we now are extremely close to. That's that tra the transparency thing comes up a lot here, doesn't it? And Tom, um, 
one one thing you did not long ago was set up a whole section of the website on fan engagement, which has all this stuff on it, including board minutes, that kind of thing. But in parallel with this, what's been notable from the first time I came to meet you, um, I think it might have been pre-pandemic. I think it was. It was just after the first fan engagement index. So it would have been late 2019 that I published that. Um, you've, you've, instead of this, and um, you know, Rovers was always this club um, whose story was punctured by, well, we're going to get a new stadium. And there'd always be this thing about, let's get the new stadium and it will sort all the problems out. And the bit that I've noticed from afar, well, not that afar, because obviously we do speak from time to time and I, you know, I, I research around these things, so I see what's happening, is that um, you haven't let that in similar in a similar vein to the other two. <clears throat> um, you've, you've, you know, the, the fan park stuff, for instance, the, the bit where you, you've taken some of the lessons clearly from Brighton where, and I, I'm assuming it was you that did, that was at least partly involved in some of this, or at least, you know, maybe you gilded it more and you, you built it up further, but you know, the way that you treat away fans is notable. And when I talk to you about the experience for fans, you're not just talking about your own fans. You're talking about the other, you know, the, 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 the away fans that come and having a good experience for them. And, you know, you've, you've in parallel with doing the fan engagement stuff, the structural stuff, the dialogue, the transparency being the big word here. This is the thing that I keep trying to explain to a lot of people is it's people knowing that everything's OK. And it might sound a bit fatuous, but that's kind of what a lot of engagement is about. Fans just want to know things are all right. You've built the commercial side up, haven't you? So you've plugged the two in. You haven't just gone, right, we need to generate revenue. And you chased after that. You've seen that the two have an interdependency and that they and that trust matters doesn't it yeah i mean i i think um i think anybody who thinks that those two things aren't linked uh, is probably a bit misguided ultimately i think um trust and communication only fuels our commercial aspirations and and make sure that we're doing things in the right way to generate as much income as possible i think we want to we want to provide facilities that fans want and want to spend as much time in as possible um, I think the, the away fan stuff we we did a really good job with when I was at Cardiff and it was quite new at, at that time um, and it's become uh, thankfully a lot more commonplace now in, in football but ultimately I think we've all got a responsibility to, to football first and to do the right thing by the game and, and for supporters in general. Obviously we've got our own personal aspirations for, for our club and to try and better the, the club that we're working for at that time. Um, but actually, your first your first um, responsibility is to football in general and to do the right things and to try and grow the game and and make it a place where we're continuing to thrive and, and be the number one sport in the country. Um, away fans play a huge part in that. It, it's one of the one of the real benefits I think to football in this country is how well supported clubs are throughout the pyramid. How big the away attendances can be, even at a League Two or National League level. And ultimately, that just creates a better product for everybody because it's a better atmosphere and um, it makes all clubs more commercially stable. Um, so part of our thing in terms of Rovers and the first part that you mentioned there, I think the stadium for Rovers was always used as a bit of an excuse. It was a, we can't do this now because we're going to move there. And because of that, then you end up with years and years of neglect and years and years of missed opportunity in terms of generating additional income. Um, so we try to take that excuse away. We try to um, make tangible progress year on year, whilst also reinforcing the fact that 
our aim and aspiration is still to move to a new stadium and any improvements we make in the meantime are um, ones that we think are commercially viable and will, will help speed up the club's progression. Um, and we've had some success in that. But balancing those two narratives is is a, a constant battle that still exists. And I think we've, we've tried to do that by defining what our core strategic objectives are and they don't change. And the first one of those is to improve the infrastructure. And that infrastructure improvement obviously means look for a new stadium in the, the bid to long term, but it also means improve the infrastructure at our current stadium in the short term and improve our infrastructure in terms of training facilities as well. Um, and obviously there's another five pillars that I won't bore you with. Um, but having those as as constants through everything we do and when we talk about board minutes and when we talk about interacting with supporters, through either myself or the owner, we constantly reinforce those six things in terms of what we're doing to move forward in those areas. And I think it gives everybody clarity in terms of what progress looks like and, and confidence that we're making progress, even if it might be slow or small, in those areas all the time. Forward motion. There are two other things, two sort of things I want to finish off with, really. So the first one is, is a, a little bit more kind of um, pointed, perhaps. Um and then the second one is is just about the sort of environment we're in and what we're going to be in and over the next couple of years. Um, number one, um, I've got a hunch, and I don't think I'm I don't think it's a I think it's a hunch based on reasonable research and a bit of understanding of the industry. Do you think that we don't put enough resources into, um, or rather, let's flip this round? Do you think that um, that we we're too intent on trying to find the money for the next? you know for the for the next player that we want to sign and to increase the salary of the left back and that we neglect that actually staffing and conditions for people doing particularly doing fan engagement roles for example you know we talk about having player care executives and things and yet we struggle to get paid SMOs in a club doing effectively the similar job a similar job for the people who are actually paying for the you know for the large part of the players wages is that is there something here we need to do as an industry to improve the you know the paying conditions and and the expectations of, for, for staff in those positions, Liam. Yeah, redistribution and reform. Right. Okay. <laughs> but if but my only response to that is if you give more money to football clubs at the moment, um, the prune juice effect. That's my response <clears throat> to that. But are we talking about the reform bit then is what but, means but, you spend the money wisely? Yeah, that that's where the reforms got to come in because look, let's. It's not beat around the bush. The, the the model of lower league football is all your money goes on your players in order yeah. to remain competitive, and then you've got to wring the sponge pretty dry, do the best you possibly can. Sometimes with interns, sometimes with volunteers, sometimes you know with 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 team members. You know, I'd like to think you know I know from Tom and from Ryan that you know we are clubs that that take a slightly different approach to that and and do things where we can. You know, we we've just been awarded a, a local charter in the city of Lincoln for being a fair employer and for dealing things in, in, in a positive way. But broadly speaking, if we want to be crude about it, what we're doing then is putting ourselves at a competitive disadvantage compared to those that we are, you know, we're all trying to kick on a Saturday at, at three o'clock. And that's, and, that, and that's part of it. You know, we're a competitive industry. So I think that's where the, we've got to sort the, the elevated piece out at 30,000 feet. And I think at that point, I, I don't look up and down the country and see owners or chairmen and chairwomen saying, you know, they don't want to do these things. It's just around, hmm. you know, every, the elastic band only has 
so much tension and if you and you pull it too much it, it it snaps and you know every, every fan wants 20 pound tickets a 30 goal a season striker the academy to producing assets uh the owners investing into the infrastructure all the staff paid the the living wage you know like it, it just the, the if you put all of that into the calculator it just doesn't work and and that's why you know redistribution and reform although i said it glibly it's not about um just sorting the game so Lincoln City can be more competitive against X, Y, and Z. It's in fact it's it's anything but that. It's about how we sort our industry um right throughout so we can we can tackle some of those those challenges. Um and, and yeah that, I think that's that's the real opportunity that we have at this moment in time. And uh, without speaking for for Ryan or Tom, it's why I think it's exciting time to be a chief executive of a football club because we're trying to change the game for the next generations and the generations after that, rather than just do a maintenance job for the next, for the next two or three years. Ryan. Yeah. It, Liam's right. It, it's a challenge for us because, you know, I, if more money comes in at the top and it's not restricted uh, and I'm attempting, shall we say, to run a sustainable football club at Bradford, um, I will need to spend that money because I've, I mean, let, let's let's dial it back to where we are. So, going back to Tom's point, if you get it right from an engagement perspective, and you think that perhaps you think that um, the two aren't linked, they are. I mean, our turnover is going to be eight point two, eight point three million by the time I've, it's all confirmed and compiled. I've been having closed the financial year. That's the highest turnover in Bradford City's history in League One or League Two, and by some considerable margin, about five hundred k. So that is off the back of the work that's been done across the board and engagement's been at the heart of that, actually. Transparency engagement has, has attracted people to us and people want to come and work with us. The issue we have is you talk there about player welfare, player care. Some of those roles are demanded from a footballing perspective. You have to have certain people in certain pot, in certain holes. And, and some of it, it from, certainly from an academy perspective, is restricted. So you get this money and you must employ this person. If more money comes into the top of the game and Bradford City decides, for example, we're going to spend that extra million, um, then clubs that are perhaps not sustainable in these leagues or their owners are already two to three million in on the squad, who therefore don't want to put any more money in for people such as SLOs because they are all in and their own rubber bands are as far as they want to pull them, they're going to need to then spend that million to compete with us on the pitch. And that's that's the challenge that is facing any club. So should money come available to us right. that is restricted, perhaps it would help. Of course, you have the issue with... Um, there, are, there are things funneling down the game around the TV deal that will improve things. It probably improves it for teams in League One and above, if we're being honest, more than League Two. Um, you know, we, we want to invest in them areas, but the issue the issue you're always going to face is that you're trying to stay competitive. Supporters do buy tickets because they'd like to see you do well as well, and that's also important. And if you do, you know, I would I, you you try it if you sit in the fans forum and say we're going to leave it this year up front, we're going to go with what we've got, but we've got a new fan engagement manager. That would you would be in for a warm reception on that, and that and that's a perception thing. It's a perception thing, but it's a reality. Okay, right. I know. I know. Liam's got a hard stop in the cut, so I want to just quickly finish off. Um, I'll, I'll finish off the the, la the, the last bit here. <laughs> um, just um, 
think you kind of answered it, Liam. Um, Tom, regulator, reform. Are you basically in accordance with that? You're all kind of landing in the same area. Ultimately, you're you're all moving, trying to move football towards a much better run version of itself. And that um, we, we're not going to resolve this by individual clubs running themselves well. It's going to be resolved by an industry-wide change and the psychology around fan engagement and the funding around fan engagement will be part of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. My uh, next call now is with the DCMS about that. So, um, yeah. so, yeah, I think we're all on the same page. I think most clubs in League One and League Two are all saying the same thing. So, um, okay. yeah, I think it's a really exciting time for football, like Liam said. Great. Look, um, normally I give someone the last word, but as there's three of you, it's got to be me. So thanks, everyone, for taking part um, and good luck next season. But obviously, Ryan, not when we play you. I do hope you enjoyed that edition of the Fan Engagement Pod. You can sign up to the Fan Engagement Network, catch up with all the latest news, Fun Engagement Indexes, back editions of the pod and more at fanengagement.net. And don't forget, if you work at a club, we hope to see you in Bristol on the 26th of July. 